0: Touch on, get more explanation on when it comes to discipling. This is your shot. This is your last shot. Stu. <clears throat> we talked last week about dangers. associated with discipling. Things like uh, being mindful of uh, you know not crossing gender lines things of that nature that that's not a healthy scenario. Well this week I want to finish up by talking about some of the joys that go along with discipling. While there are dangers there are also plenty of joys and those are things I think you should focus on. The dangers can be avoided with you know some parameters and awareness and uh, those things will arise whether someone becomes too dependent uh, on another person or there's an unhealthy situation brewing those things are usually pretty easily recognized and uh and dealt with if we're proactive the joys i think give us uh, something to focus on that can kind of lead us through uh, this kind of uh, relationship building, discipling others, and uh, being used by God as a source of spiritual encouragement—I would say—is always satisfying. You know, when you're, most of us know that from anything. When you find uh, uh, the opportunity to help someone, and come away knowing that you've helped someone, you, there's a satisfaction that goes with that. There's a contentment that you experience, and discipling is no different than that. It's a pleasure when you've cultivated um, not only a taste for discipling in someone else or growing as a disciple in someone else uh, and even in yourself. I want you have to think about some of the things and you may have to think back to when you were even a, a kid some of the things that you've had to cultivate a taste for. My uh, First thing that comes to my mind my wife tells a story about when she was when she was uh, growing up, that uh, she did not like green beans, you know. She just did not like them. And it was a source of contention at meals when the green beans were there that her dad just insisted, you're going to eat your green beans. Now she eats green beans like they're going out of style, you know. We, I would say we have green beans three or four times a week, you know. I don't like them now because we have them so often, you know. So she's completely flipped what what can you remember that something that you just absolutely did not like and all of a sudden you've acquired a taste for it? Spinach. Spinach? spinach.
1: Oh gosh, when I was a youngster, stewed spinach. <laughs> <laughs> Even as an elderly person, yeah. uh, uh, But now I eat raw spinach. Yeah. And I can eat uh, stewed spinach, uh-huh. spinach gumbo, spinach. uh, (laughs) I haven't
0: yet been able to eat emerald green peas huh interesting I'm kind of along the same way there I I found that I have developed a taste and an affection for collard greens that you know when I was a kid I wouldn't touch I've loved them since I first tasted them have you who else somebody else Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Brussels sprouts. I hate them, and now I I
1: can eat them at every meal.
0: <laughs> wow, well, that is that is a flip of the switch, right? Yeah. Somebody else.
1: Green reverse.
0: Green peas. Didn't I like them early, yellow. but now you do. I what? Used to like
1: yellow. I don't. I can't stand it anymore.
0: Why is that? I don't know. Big gag. <laughs> so you have you have reverse you have reverse tasted. Okay. Maybe after having five kids and all that jello, just finally has had its effect. You know, I grew up in the country, and so you ate country food. And many of you may have experienced the same thing. And I remember one of the things I didn't like growing up were um, uh, beans. You know, dried beans like pinto beans. I wasn't a big pinto bean eater. Now I enjoyed green beans when I was growing up, but not pinto's. But when I went off to college. I came home. I was gone for about three months before I came home for the first time. And when I came home, my mom said, well, what would you like for dinner? And I said, I'd like some pinto beans and cornbread. And she about about dropped her jaw, you know, fell on the floor. She's like, what has happened to you? I said, well, I didn't learn to love them down there but not having them. You know, kind of developed the taste. How did you How did you develop a taste for Brussels sprouts? I mean, is that all you had on the ship or in the air to eat? No, I think we, we
1: stumbled <laughs> on a recipe for how to uh, uh, cook them in the oven, like in a right. cast iron pan, roast them.
0: You know, yeah. We did,
1: and it was just, there was no going back.
0: Anymore. You loved them it was then. Huh? incredible. So you really didn't have to acquire a taste. You just, just changed never, the way they it, were just, fixed.
1: They were never being cooked well. Don't tell his mother. Yeah, don't tell my mom. You add bacon to the Brussels. You add bacon. Yes. That's a key. Blue cheese. Cheese and bacon you can eat anyway.
0: (laughs) Our girls would do that with black eyed peas. They would add ketchup to them. If they could put ketchup on, they would eat them. (laughs) Okay. How'd you learn to eat spinach?
1: That's a good question. Um, Well, uh, you know, my wife kept saying, so just uh, in a salad, she would just tend to put a little bit of spinach, a little bit more and a little bit more, until I just really never knew the difference. Uh-huh. the same way with, you used to drink, uh, you know, cow's milk, but now we drink almo- almond, yeah. almond milk, you know, with a little change of taste. But, yeah. You know, so I guess it's
0: just... just- it's just... Getting used to something, isn't it? it? It's forcing ourselves out there. Maybe it's adding a little something to it to help mask the taste or, you know, convince us that it's not all that bad, you know, adding a few spices or things of that nature. So, how do you think? I mean, most of us, if we're honest, would probably say when it comes to discipling, I'm not sure that we have a taste for it. If we did, I mean, I don't have any trouble eating the things I have a taste for, do you? I don't have any trouble eating ice cream. (laughs) I don't have any trouble eating ice cream. You know, we had a staff dinner at our house last night. We do this every Christmas, and so we had everybody up, and I said, y'all are on your own, bring your own desserts. That way you have to take them home with you when you leave. And you bring what you want, right? So there was some fine, fine stuff there last night. I had no trouble. Acquiring a taste for anything that was there last night. You know what I'm saying? Even stuff I haven't tried before. No problem. You know, it just settled on my palate like it had always had a home there. Um, discipling's not necessarily that way, is it? It's one of those things a spiritual discipline. These are things that, that aren't necessarily ingrained in us for some reason. and And, you know, maybe... Why? Why isn't it? Can it be? uh, It requires discipline. Submission. We are rebels. What else do you say? I said, and we are naturally born rebels. That's that's it. That's it. Maybe some fear. Um, Time is a big commitment, I guess. Time or commitment. Maybe, um, I don't know how to say this exactly, sort of an apathy, but really I'm thinking more of, ah, what's you know, what use is it? I mean, why, motivation. not that important. Like so motivation. That, yeah, motivation. motivation.
1: We're real good at doing the things that give us something that we want for ourselves.
0: It's, um, I've always noticed, to that point, someone, um, years ago, I worked for a guy that had uh, had a heart issue, and he had to go get, uh, he had to have an open heart surgery. They replaced the valve, and back then, you did it the old-fashioned way. You know, they cracked him open, went in, did all that, and, um, and I remember talking to him afterwards, because it was the middle of July, and he was walking around in a sweater, And I said, Bill, are you cold? Well, he said, yeah, I can't get warm, you know, because what they did was packed him in ice, slowed his heart down to where it slowed the blood down enough to where they could divert it while they went in and did all this stuff. So then when he reversed all that, he said, I just can't get warm anymore. Anyway, we talked about the surgery, and he was saying, you know, I was probably 24 at the time, and he said, I wish there was a way we could simulate this for you young guys so that you would take care of yourself i said hmm isn't that the way it always is when it comes to health issues it's when we get the problem that's when we get motivated to do better but all the time you're better you're not motivated to do anything because you think you're invincible right and and sometimes that's true here is that motivation is a key is that we don't really see a need or importance behind it maybe and so we don't get as involved with it or we're not as committed to doing it. And so other things take priority. It gets pushed to the side, right? Maybe we get comfortable, confident. Hey, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. You know, we live by grace. I'm not trying to earn my way in. So what's why do I need to do all those things? So we do need to work on acquiring a taste for discipleship, you know, understanding how sweet it can be to invest in someone else and see them grow, and by the same token, as you're doing that, experience growth in yourself. So, how would we go about acquiring that taste?
2: Hang out with somebody who's a good maker
0: That's good. That's real good. Hang out with a John John uh, Dillard for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who's doing it hang out with them, spend some time with them. So, a mentor, mentor, what else? Be intentional, don't you? So that means just like you would do anything else. I don't have to be reminded to eat meals every day or to get something to drink. You know, it's just ingrained in us. We do it. Mentoring. Hang out with a mentor. Be intentional about it. Um, Prayer. Asking God to give us the taste. Put the taste in my mouth. so you get the idea there's some things there that we can do to begin to acclimate you know to stir our taste for discipling being involved in discipleship yes sir That's right. Sports. Anybody play sports somewhere along the way? Yeah, you played sports. I play sports now. You play sports now. You still tennis. play tennis. I play tennis. Yeah. You know, I hated. I absolutely hated football practice. I hated. It. But there was nothing like playing on on a Friday night or playing the game. Nothing like it. And I put up with all that stuff. In the, I mean, you practiced you know 5 times at least every week to get ready for the game or 4 and I put up with all that I endured that because the taste for what you got out of it was so much greater than the bad taste you know day in and day out in the practice and and those that that are really good at things like that they have to give up things in order to be good at what they're what they're doing you can't you can't be lackadaisical at anything and be really good at it unless you're just gifted. And even that can wear off after a while, right? We've all seen it with very talented athletes who never apply themselves. And at some point in time, they just it, it, those tools go away if you're not honing them constantly. So spiritually speaking, you know, hooking up with a mentor, being intentional about this, praying, focus on the Word, being in the Word, being involved in, in missions... Thinking about the joys and the things that we want to pursue and endure the the difficulty, the challenge, the work that it's going to take to experience the joys.
2: You know, so I also say don't compartmentalize it to where it's just something you do with.
0: Them. That's right. It's not just a task.
2: Something you do with everybody you interact
0: with. That's right. You think about your kids. You think about family. Your mother-in-law right now, I mean, there's a lot of work being invested, a lot of concern being invested right now because love drives it, compels it, right? You raise kids, there's a lot of gratification in being a parent, having a family, but there's a whole lot of work invested, isn't there? Right? There is. And, and you know, it probably, in its raw form, the work... Is greater than the gratification but the gratification is exponential it multiplies doesn't it so we don't think about it it's it's like child labor for the for a mother versus what she gets out of that you know she forgets all about the labor after the child is born but in the minute that's going on it's pretty rough so focusing on the joy set before us as Hebrews says Christ did with the cross and being willing to discipline ourselves and pursue To attain a taste for it. It's like anything else. The more of it you do. The more of that spinach you eat. The more it begins to taste like it belongs. Discipling another person. Or being a conduit. You remember what we started out with? Remember the bad picture I drew? Mm -hmm. Is that, you know, we're
2: just
0: a piece of conduit. And what we're asking is for God to work through us, to flow through us, His Spirit to work in us, and, and to be able to intersect with someone else. That's, that's our role in serving Him, is allowing ourselves to be a clean vessel, a clean pipe through which He flows and spills out onto other people. As a genuine Christian, you should have the capacity in you to find some of your greatest satisfaction in discipling, I think. Cultivate it, nourish it. So, cultivate a taste for the pleasure of discipling, savor the joy of seeing your church prosper. A commitment to discipling will bless the individual, it'll bless you, but it also blesses the, the community of faith that you're a part of, the church. You
2: can have a disciple. Right, to keep you motivated when you're not, him
0: motivated when he's not. That's right. Can make
2: a team. The Lord sent us out, sent them out two by two.
0: Yeah, and that's right.
2: Yeah, so that, you don't have to do it all
0: alone. I mean, that's another, if you ever get into a, a plan of going to the gym or exercising, you know, it's always good to have a partner because they hold you accountable. You know? Um, blessing your church. Imagine a church full of Christians caring for, taking responsibility for each other. A church full. I mean, we know where that's going on, where that's taking place, that relationships are being formed and developed that are rich, rich and deep. You know, we've mentioned John, and John was passionate about evangelism and discipleship. He's been passionate about that ever since I've known the guy. And because of that... He develops a lot of rich relationships. Now, there's a lot of people that will run from him and avoid him because of that, right? I mean, they, they'll say, I, I don't want it, and they'll push back. But he develops a lot of rich, deep relationships because he invests so much in people and is willing to do that. <clears throat> and it makes the church healthy when you've got those kind of relationships blossoming in the body. When you disciple an individual in your local church, you're not just helping that one person, but you're also building the whole body of Christ, beginning with the local church. And think about it. When you invest in that person, they may end up in another place. We see it all the time uh, where they may end up somewhere else in another church and have an opportunity for that to continue to multiply even beyond what we can see immediately or experience immediately. We should savor the joy of being fruitful for the kingdom. All of us should desire to see fruit come from our own obedience and labor for the kingdom. Uh, And one of the most fruitful things we can do in our efforts for the kingdom is to encourage another person in their own discipleship. You're coming alongside them, helping motivate, helping encourage, recognizing. You know, when when you see and recognize God changing someone, acknowledging that to them. That's encouraging, isn't it? When somebody says, Hey man, I can see God changing you, working in you, you know, strengthening you. Um, because you may be feeling at that moment like you're an abject failure, you know, that you're you're dropping the ball, and someone's saying, "I'm seeing God do things in your life." That's got to be encouraging. To keep them on the keep them on the path. Um, let's see. We know that God intends to keep and preserve His own uh, people to the to the very end. That's that's His promise to us. He's going to do that by using particular methods, ways He has of doing that. He does it through the proclamation of His word, the preaching of His word. He does it through um, reading the Bible, mentioned being in the Word through prayer. Uh, he also does it. Uh, in fellowship or in discipleship relationships with each other, keeping each other moving forward, keeping the momentum going with one another. Building discipling relationships will increase your potential to be fruitful and useful for God. And he says that he will use these relationships to undergird and strengthen the church. That's the way he works. One by one, two by two, continuing to knit together together and strengthen and make make the body strong for His own glory and for His own benefit. Um, savor the joy of seeing a culture of discipling in your church. Uh, it should be something we would all aspire to see or want in our church, to see it develop as a culture. Not just to have one person that we would say, Uh, John Dillard that's our that's our guy he's our disciple specialist you know when we need somebody discipled we send them to John and we've done that in the past where we've identified maybe a handful of people that really are intentional and want to be involved in that and say if we have a new convert we want to be able to put them with one of those people and let them use their passions and let them use their own growth to invest in someone else nothing wrong with that but to see the persons that they, that they disciple then become like them and multiply and become disciples in themselves then all of a sudden you start to have a culture of discipleship not a bunch of specialists who are taking on the task does that make sense so when you have a culture of discipling in your local church you have lots of people within that community that experience the joy of discipling and are eagerly pursuing it on their own so why is the culture of discipling important? We're
2: going to make disciples of all
0: nations. We're, we've been commanded to do it, right? So we want a church that functions that way. We want a church that sees this as a priority. That the people in the church see, see the priority. We want to see entire communities defined by biblical markers, which discipleship is a key marker, right? Uh, it fulfills the great commission. Go and make disciples. Or as you're going, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son. And teaching them all things that I have commanded you. So it's making, dis- it's making converts. But it's also teaching them the things that Christ has taught us. Um, American culture teaches us something completely different. It teaches us to pursue uh, individual desires. Doesn't it? You know, serve your own self, do your own thing. Whatever makes you happy, that's what you ought to pursue. You don't have to justify it to anybody. You don't have to wait on anybody. Just as uh, Stu pointed out, be self-concerned. Just be concerned with yourself all the time. That's what you need. That's what our culture teaches us. Christianity encourages the corporate pursuit of God's desires, not individual desires. In fact, he teaches, he requires us to sacrifice personal desires for the greater good which is God's desires. So being willing to labor for God's glory, being willing to sacrifice or lay aside my own I mean what what is what does the scripture teach us? Uh, Luke 9:23. Who who could look that up for me real quick? Brian, look that up. Luke 9:23. When people walk into a community that's marked by discipling, it will be noticeable. They'll recognize that. You got it? All right, read it.
1: Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me.
0: Yes. So you hear that? If anyone will come after me, Jesus says, if anyone will come after me, he must first do what? Deny, deny. deny himself. Deny himself. He dies to self. He takes up his cross and follows me. He's prepared to suffer as Christ suffered and follow Christ. Emulating Christ is the way that we follow Christ. You know, we don't follow him doing something different alien to what Christ did. Right? Christ came and lived among us and suffered and died for us and he set, he set the, the tone for us. He didn't do that so that we could then all sit back and act like kings. He said, follow me, follow in my steps. Do as I'm doing. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and die. Die to self and live to Him. It's His life that's in us. It's His glory that we pursue and seek after. So, teaching people uh, this idea of discipleship is alien to our culture, but it's necessary. And it's something we have to continue to focus on. Some time back, a few weeks ago, a month, a few months ago, time starts running together, but uh, someone commented to me. They said, you know, you've been preaching a lot lately on suffering, you know. And I'm just quite frankly, I'm kind of tired of it. Uh, I said, well, (laughs) I'm sorry. But a lot of the Bible says that we should be suffering. And in fact... God says that He does more stuff in us when we're suffering than when we're not. When everything's going smoothly, it's pretty easy to sit back and be comfortable, right? It's because of our brokenness and our fallenness that God says, you know, it's in the suffering that I get your attention. That's when I get you to look at me and listen to me, right? And uh, (laughs) so it's the same way with... Taking up our cross and following Him. We all want to be in heaven as soon as we get saved, practically speaking. We want to live like we're already in heaven. And there is an aspect of that. But we're called to follow Christ. We emulate Him. We we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. How do you get a culture of discipling in your church? Somebody have a question? How do you get a culture of discipling in your church? Well, leadership has to be on board with it. The leadership of the church has to want to see that take place. Um, You also have to to want every Christian in that church to understand that discipling, uh, whether that means being a discipler or being discipled, is important and that everybody needs to be doing both And You know, you never get to a point where you stop being discipled. It's a responsibility for all of us. Okay, another joy uh, in discipling. Spinning them up and spinning them out for God's glory. Spinning them up and spinning them out for God's glory. The goal of your discipling is not just growth and health in one individual, but replication of disciple-making disciples. It's one of the most difficult tasks in discipling, and it's the source of both the deepest sense of loss and the most profound and substantial joy. Basically, what we're talking about is it's real easy for us to take on a discipleship relationship with someone, invest in them, and then we just kind of want to become possessive of them. This is my little disciple, you know, we keep them there because we feel good about that rather than launching them out like the mother birds, it's pushing her babies out of the nest so they'll learn to fly and go on and be productive adult birds and make more birds, right? This is what discipling is. is you know, at some point, we have to push them out of the nest so that they'll go on and they will do what we've done and, and take someone else and disciple them. So then you have the multiplying. When they do that, you're not finished. You move back and find the next one, right? Who's the next one that I can teach? Who's the next one that I can train up? Rather than settling for that comfortable relationship. Not that you have to stop being friends. Not that you have to not have a relationship anymore. But the relationship can change then. You know, we're, co, we're co-mentors we're co now. So we can encourage each other that way and continue to move forward. But investing and pouring into others. All right. So, uh, concluding thoughts on discipling. One, discipling is the work of the church and not just the leaders. It's not just the job of the elders or prominent people in the church uh, to, uh, to take up the task, as, as it's true with any other task, basically. It's a ministry that requires a lot of time and commitment from many people. The more people that are invested in it and committed to it, the more effective, the, more, um, the stronger the church will become. It's the job of a healthy congregation to disciple one another. Discipling can be a way to spread blessing beyond the church. Discipling, as I said earlier, if you invest in someone and God picks them up and takes, well, let's let's uh, we can take a couple of examples here. Uh, Michael Debus came here straight out of seminary. Uh, Michael had. Go, finished his seminary degree, had a Master of Divinity, and was accepted into the Ph.D. program at his seminary. And so he could have stayed, and then he said he got to questioning himself, and he said, you know, I, I'm tired of being in school. I want to be in a local church, and I want to be serving God. So, you know, he ended up here in this church for the better part of five and a half years or something like that. And served the Lord and was faithful in doing the Lord's bidding and discipling people and all those kind of things. And at the same time, Michael was being discipled, being a part of the ministries and the opportunities that God afforded him here. And sitting under preaching, all the things that the church body does for anybody else was doing in his life. And, And then he and his family recognized God's call upon their life to go and do missions in a remote part of the world, in a hard place of the world. And so they ended up on the Black Sea coast of uh, Turkey. And he spent the last uh, nine years doing that Uh, and thinking about having been there a couple of times and seeing all the things that were unfolding and being done there. It was a source of encouragement that some of the things that had gone on here had actually reached and made an impact even that far around the world from here you know we've taken people to india we've taken people to africa short-term wise but we've also seen people go from our church and go to other communities other cities and different places and become involved in church there and take some of the things that they've learned or experienced here and begin to multiply those somewhere else so the the impact is is limitless you know, because God's fueling this and using this. And we never know. You can't ever uh, define it ahead of time, right? You never know who's going to be that next kid that's sitting there. And um, the first church I pastored, <clears throat> little mission church up in the mountains where I grew up. And I had a family move in, and there was a family of four. And the guy that came back there, he was uh he was uh we went to high school together, but he was three or four years ahead of me. Um he knew me better than I knew him. He knew who I was, but I, I didn't really remember much about him. But anyway, they ended up in our church. Well, he had a son that was about, I don't know, he's probably about eight or nine at the time. And he's a little, you know, wimpy looking, you know, Dare I say, sissy-like, you know? I mean, I just didn't know what he was going to end up doing. Um, but he he got involved in doing some things and got excited about some things, got ready, went on a mission trip with the youth as he grew. And he got into this magic thing. You know, he liked to do magic tricks. So he had these ropes and stuff, and he would do all this. So he got into that, and I thought, okay, well, you know, I guess that's fine. Well, he started thinking about how to use his magic in order to share the gospel, right? So, and about that time, we left the church and and moved away, but and I lost track of him. Well, you know, his mom and dad ended up divorcing, and so it was a sad situation. But he ended up with his mom, and his mom ended up uh, working for um, uh, for Jerry Falwell. And and Falwell invested in this kid um, at that point in time. And he ends up being the uh student pastor at Liberty for a few years. And um, if I called his name, you might know his name's Johnny Moore. And uh he um, he's been here and preached uh years ago when I first got here. I had him come in and preach one Sunday while I was gone to India or somewhere and uh and he's now he he left liberty and he's out in california doing something but he's written several books and i mean you know god's used him in a in a great way and i would never have guessed that it was anywhere remotely possible that that this guy was headed anywhere and i mean he's he's been on nightline he's been on all kinds of things you know and i go every time i see him i go I can't believe that's Johnny. <laughs> you never know. You just never know what God's doing and what God's going to do. And so investing in people faithfully and trusting God to do with them what he wants to do with them. You know, that's what we do, right? Discipling can be a great blessing beyond the immediate church. Um, a greater emphasis on discipling starts with each one of us you know it's not it's not as simple as a program it's you know churches churches need to get out of this mindset of programs programmatic mindsets really do more harm to hindering the gospel going forth than anything else ministry is organic it's not programmatic you know programs can be used as a structure you know upon which you you skid the rails for um for ministry, but ministry is organic. Real gospel ministry is organic. It takes available people, willing people that will allow God to use them for things. Now, again, I'm not saying that there aren't some programs out there that can be leveraged and used well, but it's not as simple as just saying, hey, we're going to have this program and it's going to, you know, it's going to be the bomb and it's going to fix everything and, and satisfy everything that we need to be doing. God doesn't work that way. He never has. You know, years ago back in um it was in 1990, 1990 early 90s that Rick Warren wrote his purpose-driven church and then he's followed that up with purpose-driven life and purpose-driven this and purpose-driven that and 40 days of purpose and you name it. Um you know, he he uh he left Dallas, uh Texas and went to California. Uh, with W.A. Criswell, who was the pastor at First Dallas uh, for 50 years. He went with his blessing and support. But he went out there and just his his uh, vision was to plant a church. And he went out there and started with nothing and just started meeting people and started with a house church. And, you know, if you know anything about uh, Saddleback Community Church, and I don't agree with everything that's that's come out of Saddleback. Don't, don't uh, hear me... Um, on this that uh, but but he has been doing his thing uh, faithfully the way that he saw it being done and God's used it but when that book came out every church in America because of the success that Sh- Saddleback had had numerically speaking everybody decided that's what we got to do we got to be Saddleback and when I went to Oklahoma and it was a new church start and everybody in the church had read the book because some expert out there had told them they all needed to read Purpose Driven Church. And when they first talked to me, my wife asked me, she said, are we, going, are we going to Oklahoma? And I said, no. And she said, why not? And I said, because they're looking for Rick Warren. And so I said, I'm going to send them a couple of tapes and this will end the discussion. They'll know that I'm not Rick Warren. Uh, but, I thought you had to be a
1: freak.
0: <laughs> Well, that, was, you know that was even before Rick Warren, yeah. Bill Hybels. And uh, Willow Creek, same same general principle, you know, targeting specific kinds of people and going after them and hitting them where they were, all those kind of things. But every church, it didn't matter if you were in Timbuktu, Michigan, or you were in Tulsa, Oklahoma, they all thought they were going to be purpose-driven Saddleback. And I remember having this conversation with some people there, in Stillwater, Oklahoma, which is a fine town. We enjoyed living there. But listen, I've been to Orange County, California a lot. I used to have customers out there. You've been around there. That's not Stillwater, Oklahoma. And Stillwater, Oklahoma is not Orange County, California and never will be. And I would say, you know, I appreciate that you think that taking purpose-driven life and church and Emulating it is going to going to make us the bomb as a church, but it's not going to work that way. What you need to take away from that is here's a guy that went into an area, learned and studied the area, and then prayed and asked God to give him wisdom about how to begin to reach people in that area. That's what you need to take away from it Now we need to do that part of it here, not just take the things he did the baseball analogy and base, you know, first base, second base, third base and home bait. Forget all that stuff. You know, that worked one time in Orange County, California, because God ordained it to work that way. You know, that's not saying it's going to work in Stillwater or in Atlanta, Georgia. You know, we need to pray and seek God's leadership for here, for what he wants to do in this place. Um, So, Emphasis on discipling starts with us. That we commit ourselves to doing that. Not a program that we get involved organically. One person at a time. One by one. We shall disciple them. Continue to grow in your own discipleship of Christ. You can't be a discipler if you're not being discipled. It just doesn't work that way. Any more than this conduit is not effective as conduit. If there's nothing flowing through it, is there? If there's no source of fluid, of water flowing into this end, there's not going to be anything come out that end, is there? I don't care how long you sit and wish it to happen. If there's no water source, there's nothing coming out productive on the other end. It's just going to collect dust. It's going to be like that that drain you were talking about earlier today, George. It's just going to have a big plug in the end of it that's all there is to it but if you're filling up the other side if this end is hooked up to the source then there's an opportunity for the water to flow through the conduit and get to the people that need to receive it so you got to be being discipled in order to be a discipler it's as simple as that you don't it's not something you say well you know i went through a discipleship program got certified now i just all i do is disciple no discipling a way of life it goes on on and on and on if you stop learning you stop discipling seek out people and opportunities to encourage others keep in mind all this will probably not just happen without your own effort you don't sit and wait for it to fall out of the sky into your lap, but you've got to you've got to be intentional about it and get involved. Okay. Any questions? Any pushback? Grumble grumble here and now. Don't go out in the hallway and grumble. <laughs> Don't grumble by my back. <laughs>
2: I, I, I think it's a great way to grow a church instead of just focusing on how many people you can bring in and, and get the membership up and get the church bigger and bigger and bigger to make disciples and, and they go out.
0: Yeah, what you just described is not growing a church, is it? That's just adding, that's just adding attenders. Okay, that's a concert.
1: sheep. Swap
0: that's right. And there's a whole lot of that, there's enough of that going on. You're not looking just to bring people in. It's one of the reasons why we have meaningful membership at this church, where we sit down with people and talk them through what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a, a, a true church member, you know, and fulfill the church covenant, is that it's not just about being a spectator and sitting on the pews once a week or even once a month or whatever it may be, or even being a, a giver. You know, some churches sell their soul just to get some more givers. Look, our job is to make disciples. It's to make disciples. That's what, we'll, that's what God will use to build the church. Jesus said he's the one that builds the church. So building the church is us investing in people. Making converts, making disciples. They go together. <clears throat> if all you're interested in is making converts, you've got kind of an empty view of the scripture, right? I mean, because... There's more to it than that. Making a convert is making one complete, which means you turn them in to one who's making other converts and disciples. But the two go together. The Great Commission has both those terms in there make disciples, make disciples. You can't make a disciple until he's a convert or she's a convert. And then discipling them is teaching them how to follow Christ and make other converts and disciples. So it becomes a multiplying effect. And as we do that, as we give ourselves to what Christ has told us to do, then He said, I'll, I'll take care of the church. I'll build the church. I'll do what the church needs. I'll take care of the church and give it what it needs. If we're faithful with what God's called us to do, then God will use us as a strong church. Whether there's 50 of us, whether there's 10 of us, or whether there's a thousand of us. You know, it's not it's not predicated on how many numbers there are. There are churches, there are churches around the world that that have uh, we would we would rival them in size but man i would you know i wouldn't discount them for anything in the kingdom of god because they're committed they're serving they're doing the, i mean you can go anywhere around the world where christianity is is uh, opposed by the government and you're going to find people that are risking their lives every time they come together to worship together you know to open their mouths and sing together they could Their next breath, they could have somebody rapping on the door and shoot them or carry them to jail. It's going on, it's going on all around the world. Uh, we, we take, it's too easy for us in our country right now, but um, we need to be focusing on what God has called us to do and, and not just using lots of flash and smoke and mirrors to try to get people, to your point, to just attend occasionally and um, so that we can say wow look at us how we're growing a lot of there's a lot of big unhealthy churches